Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome back. We're so delighted to have you here joining with us for this fall season. We've got a lot of cool things in store, as you can imagine. You've probably seen those on the website or perhaps in your pamphlets or bulletins that we handed out uh, today. We're beginning a new sermon series, and you'll see up on the screen that that is entitled All. And the simple reason for that is because we are a church who are all about God's glory. If you've ever visited our church, you've probably received a welcome letter. And in that letter, one of the first things it says is, you know, Midland Free is a Bible-based church, and we believe that the ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And indeed, that is our driving passion and the force behind everything we do. So as we take the first few Kickoff sermons to begin this season. We'll be looking at that, uh, sort of the broad, all-inclusive, all-for-the-glory-of-God uh, stewardship series. And I know when you hear the word stewardship, you immediately think the preacher wants me to get out my wallet. But we want to include more than that. We want to include every aspect of your life, your time, your treasures, your talents, your relationships, your skills, your abilities, everything, all of it falls under the umbrella of God's glory. So we'll start off our season like that and then we'll move into Nehemiah and after Nehemiah is the Advent. So that's how our fall will go. So we're delighted you're here. This week I had the opportunity to go to a midweek event at JAM and JAM stands for Jesus and Me. It is our middle school ministry. A bunch of hot, sweaty, stinky, smelly junior hires all running around in this very place having a grand time. And this week, the game was dodgeball. And so being the somewhat competitive fellow that I am, I saw the game going on and I had a little restraint. I held back and said, not right away, Jeremy, hold on, let's see how this goes. And then it looked kind of fun, and I saw some other people involved in the game, and so I thought, you know what, it's my turn. Here we go. (laughs) I'm in. And I jumped in the dodgeball game, and I started looking around, but, you know, these are your children, so I want to be nice to them. I don't want to hurt anybody, take anyone's heads off. So there's a few, you know, little junior high cluster over here, but I'm not really interested in getting out one of the little 12-year-old boys. I'm trophy hunting. And so I'm looking around and back, and all of a sudden, you know, there's this, you know, little crew of young bucks here. But in back, I see the real target. In back, there's this great, big, honking guy named Gafke. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's my man. I want that hanging above my fireplace. Here we go. And I'm watching this guy, and let me tell you, That thing, he has quite the mane, all right? All right, so I'm trophy hunting. I'm going after him. There's Gafke. I'm watching. There's a bunch of little other bucks running around. I'm not worried about them, though. I'm going after Gafke. And he's in the back. He's kind of hanging back a little bit. And, you know, if you play dodgeball before, the time to strike is not when the person's standing there and they got two balls in their hands and they're ready to block. You wait until they throw, and then once they're out of position, man, you strike. I mean, you take their head off if you can, right? 
So here we go. Gafke's playing around. He throws the ball, and I'm locked in. I'm zeroed in on Gafke. I'm like, I am going to get this dude. Sure enough, he throws the ball. As soon as he throws it, I'm right on my target. I'm like, yeah. And I nail him, and I get him. I'm like, yes. And right when I'm about like this, yes, all of a sudden, whack. (laughs) Right in the chest. And here I am, so focused in on Gafke that I forgot about little Gavin. (laughs) And Gavin got me. And I distinctly heard him say, yes, I got the pastor. (laughs) Like, oh, man. And what I learned was this, is when you're playing dodgeball, it's really fun to have a specific target. And that's part of the game. But if you lose sight of the broader picture, If you miss what's going on around you, all of a sudden you're dead meat. You're nailed. You get so focused and locked in on one single thing that all of a sudden you miss the big picture. What I want to say to you this morning is that in a very similar way, that is the way life operates. You know, we're busy. We've got a lot of stuff going. And sometimes it's stuff we choose and sometimes it's stuff we don't choose. And we may be focused in on one thing. We're like, man, this is what i got to do right now. I am focused. And while we're focused in on that thing, other stuff may be flying our way. we got jobs, relationships, careers, kids, finances, health, all these issues. And you feel like you're dodging things left and right. But what happens is this. is If you lose sight of the big picture of the 30,000-foot overarching strategic level view of life, then something's going to take you out. You're going to miss. You're going to lose. And so what I want to encourage you today to do is just step back a little bit, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at one single tiny verse. But that individual verse is going to give us the big picture, the higher level strategy, the overarching theme or view of the Christian life. And then as you step back and you see yourself, you can see, well, how does all this other stuff then fit into that? And if it does, then it's going in the right direction. And if it's not, then I need to adjust. So today I'd invite you to turn with me. If you've got your Bibles, it's very short, but it's the uh, 10th chapter of the book of Corinthians. The last verse in that chapter, the 31st verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10:31 and what it says is this. It says, "So, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God." If I were going to summarize this text and put it in a command form, I would say it's something like this. I would say, do everything, whatever it is, all out for God's glory. Just whatever it is, all out for God's glory. The way I want to walk you through this morning, our sort of roadmap or structure today is this, is I'm basically going to take four words out of this verse and we're going to walk through them in order. So, We're going to start with the first word, so. I'm going to preach the sermon on the word so. Okay? And then we're going to talk about the word whatever. 
and then do, and then glory. So we're just going to walk through those four words. So, whatever, do, and glory. And the conclusion will be, whatever it is you do, do it all out for the glory of God. So, let's begin with our first word, which is so. The word so here comes from a Greek word which basically means therefore. And that's significant. If you're a Bible study person, um, one of the things they tell you is anytime you see that word therefore, ask, what's it there for, right? And what this one is doing is it is summarizing the last two chapters, chapters 8 through 10. So chapters 8 through 10 have been a case study. The apostle has been corresponding with these people in Corinth and writing back and forth, they've been asking him various questions. They're like, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? This is a little weird. What do we do about this? And the apostle has been writing these answers back and forth to them. And basically he titles each section now concerning. And he'll start off and he'll say now concerning this or now concerning that or now concerning this and now concerning that. And he addresses these issues, and then at the end, he has a summary statement. So what you're coming to then in verse 31 of chapter 10 is the summary of chapters 8 through 10. And in those, two, those three chapters, what they talked about was this issue the Corinthians were facing of whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Should we or should we not eat it? What do we do? And the apostle has walked them through this then as basically sort of an example of how you should balance your freedom and your responsibility in the Christian life. You're going to come across these things where the Bible doesn't necessarily say do this or do that. And you're like questioning it because some Christians are saying, hey, should I? I should. And others are saying, you shouldn't. And you're like, what do I do? Which one is it? When? How do I know? And the apostle gives this statement then to help you figure that out. And I think as we look at our lives, that in a lot of ways, I mean, much of our life falls into this category. What do I do? Well, in the end, you're going to determine that decision by how it stacks up to this statement or this phrase. How does it contribute or does it even contribute to the glory of God? So then, summarizing or putting it in context, what you need to know is in this book, that's how this statement is functioning. But overall, in the broader picture, it works the same way. It may not refer to meat and idols, but all the decisions you make in your life, your career, your choices, what you eat for lunch, everything should come under this rule. Whatever you do, so then, therefore, do it to the glory of God. Now, I think you may perhaps remember this illustration. When we went through the book of uh, Corinthians, we pulled out this umbrella, and I said that the canopy, the large, big, black spot that keeps the rain off, that represents God's glory. And then what you have is you have all these little spires going out, and they're actually called stretchers, And we said that these are various gifts of the Spirit or ministries that could contribute to that. They all go into this glory umbrella. And then the driving force behind each one of these individual ministries, does anyone remember what the shaft is? What is this? The gospel. 
The gospel drives the ministries that are all going after the glory of God. And so the next word in this sentence is um, whatever you do, whatever. And it's actually repeated three different times. It's whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do. And what I want to remind you this morning is basically that, that, that this is, what this is saying is that it, it fully understands that no two Christians are exactly alike. Now, when I was at the junior high thing this week, um, Pastor Chuck asked me just to give a little intro. Who are you? How'd you get there? And that was a neat opportunity for me because I could say, you know what? This is the road that God led me down. This is how he designed me, but that's going to be way different for you. You're a totally different person with totally different personality, with totally different spiritual giftings, with totally different parents, with totally different foods, with totally different education, and you're going to grow up to be whoever God designs you to be. God has not called you to be me, and God has not called me to be you. God's called you to be you to the best of your abilities, all out, whatever that is, for his glory. That's why he made you. That's why you exist. And you as a little junior higher, you may, well, I shouldn't say little, but you as a junior higher, you may not know that yet, and you're still kind of figuring that out. And indeed, we as full-grown adults go through various phases where we feel that God is still working and changing things in us. We're all growing in this, but ultimately what we're trying to figure out is how has God designed me uniquely in the gifts, experience, education, family, everything coming together for his glory. And I hope, church, here's the individual application that I'd like to make from that. I hope not only will you realize that for yourself, because once you do, that's where you find your fulfillment and joy in life is serving where God has called you to serve, but also that you would give that benefit of the doubt to your brother or sister in Christ. What I mean is this, look, I'm, I'm somewhat the new guy, I've been here almost a year now, and one of the things that the new guy experiences is everyone wants to tell him about their thing, you know? And this is no slight on anybody, because God has called us each to do something different. So one person who's passionate about Awanas comes to me and says, hey, you got to check out Awanas, it's the greatest thing God has ever done. It's how I came to faith. It's how I was discipled. And I think if we, our church was all out for Awanas, we would be the best church on the block. I said, great. Thanks for lunch. I love how they disciple children, reach out with the gospel, and encourage and disciple people. Awesome. I love that. I'm all about learning about the gospel and being discipled and growing. Great. Go to the next one. And the person says, hey, man, I've got this ministry for you. And I go through that. And then I go through that, and then I go through that. And for like six months, I'm going to different lunches where everybody's telling me about their thing, their very favorite ministry, which they are convinced will be the best ministry ever. And what do I say? To all 50 to 100 people, yes, yours is the best. (laughs) That makes it a little bit weird, doesn't it? Am I going to rank it and say, well, I had lunch with somebody yesterday and the, you know, the lunch was a little bit better. So I'd say, you're, you know, you're approaching, but you're not quite there yet. <laughs> no, it's not my decision. It's not my job. My job is to be the shepherd who says, wow, you're a really cool sheep who's part of God's flock. And even though you're white and furry and fluffy and actually may have a spot on your bottom, um, 
you're not the same as that guy over there. He's different than you and what God has called him to do, he hasn't called you to do. And so somehow he's going to get us wild and wooly sheep all together in one big room and we're going to serve him for his glory. And your gift and your passion may be different than their gift and their passion. And theirs may be different from yours. So we have all kinds of awesome ministries going on at this church. We've got, you know, people involved in the Pregnancy Resource Center, Christian Education, Local Outreach, Evangelism, Acts of Compassion, Prayer, Discipleship, Acts of Service, Foreign Missions, Worship, you name it. I'm sure I left even more out. There's a lot of different ministries going on here. And that's really cool. And who am I to stand up here in the pulpit and say one is better than the other? I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is this, is I'm really excited that God has designed you the way he designed you, that he has equipped you the way he has equipped you, and he's called you the way he's called you. And you need to take that, whatever it is, and use it for his glory. Do it. All out. But meanwhile, while you're doing that, don't judge your brother or sister. Instead, be be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. So give them a break. If they're not passionate about your thing, hey, praise God, they're doing theirs and you don't have to do it. (laughs) Do yours and be glad about that. Now, let me give you a church application then. Uh, That's the individual. That's what I want you to do as individuals is give your brother the benefit of the doubt. We're all different. God knows that. Now let's look at us as a church, as a broader body. Let us say that, let's pretend that I'm not one of the pastors, but I'm a parishioner or a church member, and I go, and I'm like, oh, I've got the greatest ministry in the world. I know what it's going to be. Because I saw another church doing it, and they do a really good job of it, so we should do it too, plus I kind of like it. So I go into the pastor, and I'm like, hey, can I have some time? Sure, what day? Okay, let's set it up. And I'm like, you know what? I know this other church, and they've got this running ministry. And it's awesome. They have this huge race. I know this church, okay? Big church, as big as ours. They raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for shoes for needy children. They give away 6,000 pairs of brand new shoes. They call it one sole purpose, right? And they get their whole community together. They got businesses and sponsors, and it's a big outreach event, and it is great. You know, the balloon artist, the carnival, the festival, the gospel, everything. It's awesome. We got to do this. Besides, I like to jog. So, Pastor, I'm wondering can we divert our budget so that we buy a whole bunch of treadmills? We have several midweek classes, we train our congregation to run, and then. We get a bunch of race organizers and organize like two to three hundred people and we set up a race. Can we do that, Pastor? Because I think it's going to be awesome if we do. I'm telling you. And the four or five runners in this room are like, yes, (laughs) I love that ministry. That's going to be great. Let's do it. And the rest of us are sitting there like, I ain't interested. No, thank you. And then we look around our community and we see, oh, guess what? There's another church that does a shoe thing. And we contribute to that. So is this the most effective use of our time? And is this what our people are called to do? I mean, maybe if we were like in a racing community and everyone in our church were racers and that was their passion, but is this our gifting? Is this our passion? Is this our calling? Is this something that's not being done or needs to be done better? Not really. So we don't go for it. And I hope that doesn't offend you or me in this case. And cause me to say, well, man, I don't like this church anymore. I'm going to go find a place that wants to run. Because I believe running for Jesus is the best thing we can do. And I leave. No, you can still run. 
by all means, run. Encourage your friends. Bring them out. Run with them. Run in the race. Talk about Jesus the whole way. Sing, pray, listen to podcasts. It's a good thing. But it doesn't mean it's for everybody in this church. So as a church, we have to make decisions because although we have an unlimited God, we ourselves are limited. And so we're just going to end up picking and choosing based on what we feel God has called us here in this spot, in this culture, in this society to do. And we can't do it all. We'd love to, but we can't. But that's the cool thing about the body of Christ is why there are so many different parts, so many different members. You know, if we were all an arm, what would the body be? But the body is diverse with all these different people, with all these different gifts, with all these different churches, and we function together as one like that. So I think the question then for us, here's some questions. That would, I would challenge us as a church is to say, okay, so it's not should I quit and go to another church if they don't have X, Y, Z. But instead, the question then becomes, well, what is God uniquely gifted and called and equipped me as a person to do? What am I equipped to do? And then the next question is, is well, what is it that's not being done now or maybe could be done better? How does my gifting fit into that, into the bigger picture? So let me give you some very practical examples from our church, okay? And I'm not picking on anybody or leaving anyone out. These are just ones that randomly came to mind. In our congregation, considering our culture, who we are, we're in mid-Michigan. One of the types or demographics of people that we have are sportsmen. We got a lot of sportsmen in our church, people who love the outdoors. And so at some point, a sportsman gets together with his buddy and he says, hey, you know what, wouldn't it be cool if we could use this, our gifting, our passion, our desires, to reach out with the gospel, fit it under the umbrella of the glory of God and reach our neighbors. Let's try that. How's that going to go? And they look at some other examples and they get some ideas and they pull it off and it works out great. And all of a sudden, this thing grows, and we end up having one of the hugest sportsmen's banquet in the entire state. They do a bang-up job and do incredible work because their driving passion is the gospel and the glory of God. They want to connect the creation to the creator, and so they use their gifts and their skills and talents to do that. Look, this banquet is not about winning a gun. It's about winning the ultimate treasure, which is Jesus Christ. You don't go there to buy a raffle ticket. You bring your friends because you want them to hear about Jesus. You don't care about the tricks or toys that they use to get people in the door. We want them to come in the gate into eternal life. It is the thing that drives them. It's the gospel. We have people who are builders in our congregation who go to Haiti and Camp Niati and other places and they fix things. So these guys can really swing a hammer. They may not feel comfortable, you know, talking about church history, but boy, they can put on a roof. And there you go. Another group of people that I haven't picked on yet, but I know you're here, so here we go, is we have an incredibly huge bucket full of intellectual capital. 
you know Midland, right? We are Dow and Dow Corning. And at this church, I mean, it's, it's just unlike anything in the world. I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota, the home of Mayo Clinic and also IBM, similar sized town. So there's doctors and there's computer people. Here we have scientists and engineers. And it is just astounding how this thing works. And it's really cool. I appreciate these people. These are the ones I work with on the board, right? Everyone on our board right now is an engineer except for one, okay? No, two, now that we have a new person. But they're cool people, right? And they're faithful listeners. They're good givers. They're tenders and tithers. But is that enough? What more could we do? I, I see this not only as an incredible gift, but also a large burden. Because here we have been entrusted with this many talents, and I figure, well, Lord, we've got to do something with this. What are we doing? What are we doing? And I'd like to challenge you this morning, you can throw it in the trash, I don't care what you do with it, but one, one random idea I had, and this is not a new church program, there's all kinds of committees and coordination and whatever, this is just an example, okay, straw man, tear it down, whatever. But let's say that there are some people out there who have particular proficiencies in math and science and whatever, and you're good at it, okay? Could you teach a sixth grader chemistry? Could you handle pre-calculus? I've had people come into me and say, hey, look, you know what? I do this stuff every day. I've been doing it for 20 to 30 years. I can do it in my sleep with my eyes closed. If there's some kid who's at a struggling point and he needs a little counseling, he needs some encouragement, and I can come alongside him, I have zero prep work to do whatsoever. You hand me his textbook and boom, I'm in. And I thought, wow, what a neat ministry. I don't see that happening anywhere here in Midland. I do know that there is an auto clinic. And if we had a bunch of gearheads in our church and we were in Detroit, then maybe that's something we should do, fix up cars. But I think I only know one mechanic, but I know a whole bunch more engineers. So our church is not full of gearheads. It's full of scientists. Okay? You know what I'm saying? There's something we can do with this huge amount of intellectual capital that we've been given. Look, I got guys from the district office calling me and they're saying, what are you doing, man? It's so cool. How's that work? And I'm like, well, you know what happened? We have some attorneys in our church and they're really pretty high power, high capacity folks. And they saw the sway of the way things were going. And so six months to two years out, they said, hey, you need to be looking at your constitution. You might want to revise it. We'd be willing to lend our skills to you and help you so that when this ruling from the Supreme Court comes down, you'll be positioned to deal with it in a culturally relevant, gospel-driven, sensitive to our surroundings, appropriate way. We're like, cool, great. And so they did it. We had the forum and we revised the Constitution and we wrote the policy and these guys ran it through every legal you know, niche and notch that they could figure and by the end of the day we got it done ahead of the ruling. And now all these other churches are scrambling and calling me and they're like, what do we do? Like, I don't know. We just got a bunch of really cool folks who did this for us. <laughs> you can take a look at ours. And that's the way it works when you use your gifts. And I know we have that in this church, so I'm challenging you to do so. Use your gifts for the glory of God. If you're 
an engineer, if you're a scientist, maybe there's something you can do. Now, I also understand, look, I had a friend who was a dentist in my previous church, and he was, his dad was a farmer. So he lived on acreage, and he did dentistry all day long. I understand that when he came home from work, he didn't want to do more dentistry, right? His dad's like, hey, man, why are you out bailing hay? You can make so much more doing this. That's silly. And he's like, Dad, I just can't do that all day long. Okay, so you can't do it all day long. That's totally cool, too. I get that. No judgment here. In fact, what would happen if I came in on Monday morning and I just gave this big challenge, you know, let's do this, let's, let's come up with something to use our intellectual capital. And Rochelle, the, um, direct, the, the worship arts executive, administrative assistant, person who runs this show, comes into my office and is like, Pastor Jeremy, you just killed our worship team. And I'm like, what? I killed the worship team? She's like, you killed it. I'm like, what do you mean, Rochelle? I killed it. You're like, you just told all the PhDs and engineers to go teach science. Now I don't have anybody to lead worship anymore. I'm like, huh? She's like, don't you know two of the worship leaders have PhDs and the rest are engineers? I'm like, oh, okay. What? What church has PhDs leading worship? That is unique, okay? Do you understand that? That is unusual. Now, if you're leading worship and you're smart and you're whatever, keep in there. I'm not trying to kill any other ministries. And I understand you can't do engineering all day long. But if there are people who are not, then hey, let's consider something. What is not being done? What has God uniquely called and equipped you to do? How can you use your talents for his glory? It's a challenge, and I'm laying it down and leaving it open for you. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I'd like to see something. Here we are. We are so gifted. Let us not bury our talents in the backyard. Let's put them to work. It's great to be gifted, but it's also a big burden and responsibility. Look at our church. Here we are sitting in chairs. I look at people overseas sitting on stumps underneath trees. I see people over there who don't know how to read and they're trying to teach their church leaders you know, not to beat their wives. I see people on other continents who are fleeing their homes in the millions, running from bombs and bullets. And on this continent, I see unwed single moms, crumbling marriages, suffering children, expatriates from all over the world right in our own backyard and people dying without the hope of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of stuff that can be done. What are we doing? Do something. So, summarizing, whatever it is you're called to do, do, number three, something. Do something. Colossians three twenty three through 24 says it like this. It says, hey, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord, from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Why? Because you're serving the Lord. You're serving God, not man. Look, when you go to play dodgeball, you're not trying to hurt anybody. I get that, right? But you want to play all out. It's no fun to play against someone who's like, okay, hit me, walk to the other side. 
I want the big guy. I want the one who's hard. I want to be engaged. I want to go full speed, all out, 100% for the glory of God. That's how the apostle is challenging you to use your gifts and live your life. This thing is too short, man. You've got to go for it. Do something. And don't put in any of that half-hearted stuff either. Go all out, 100%, for the glory of God. Do something. Philippians 3, verses 14 through 15 says, Look, this is how I run. I press on for the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature, and many of us consider ourselves that, think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Hey, look, you're in a race. Don't you know, 1 Corinthians, that all the runners in the race run to win? Man, run. Go. Come on. What's holding you back? Do something. Whatever it is God has called you to do, do it for his glory. So then, summarizing, here's where we're at so far. Everything all out for one reason, and here's my four points. Number one, so, summarizing then, a case study, whatever you do, all-inclusive umbrella, everything should fall under the glory of God. Then when you do it, you do it all out, 100%, no holding back. Finally, number four, you do it for God's glory. Now, I know that's kind of a strange term. Um, It sounds a little bit like this mystic aura, the sort of halo glow behind the medieval art that you're like, what is that? That's glory. What is glory? Here's where I'd like those of you who enjoy just a little bit more. This is the bonus material, the extra scenes, the cut, the behind the scenes look. What is glory? Put on your thinking caps for a moment and I'll try to show you and I hope to connect some dots for you that perhaps have never been realized before. What is God's glory? Well, we know that like in dodgeball, if you win the game, you get the glory. You get the honor, the praise, the admiration, the mutual respect, others' acclaim. And that's typically what we say in church is, hey, look, Let's give God the admiration. Let's give him the praise. Let's give him the respect, okay? And we're kind of like, whoop-de-doo. Yippee, yay, God. We don't always do that as much as we should, but we understand that. That's part one. But what is part two? Part one is the honor, praise, and renown of God. But part two, the lesser-known part is this, and I'll explain it to you like this. Moses. When he says to God, what what does he ask God to do? Show me your glory. So God says, okay. And what does God show him? His glory. Well, what is his glory? Well, what does God show him? God shows him himself. He himself is his own glory. Whoa, Pastor, you're starting to spin circles now. Let me show you a little more what I mean, okay? The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 33, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And then the Lord says, you know, look, you cannot see my face 
because no one can see me and live. I'm too glorious. Then the Lord said, there's a place nearby where you can stand behind a rock. Go there, and when my glory passes by, you know, I'll put my hand over you, and you'll be safe. Then early the next morning, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, which is part of his glory, the Lord. So what then is it? What is God's glory? Well, his glory is in verse 6. It says, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and maintaining his love to thousands of generations Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And Moses bowed to the ground and worshipped. So what then is the Lord's glory? Well, God's glory is himself. It is his character and his essence revealed. God's glory is himself. He himself is his own glory. And his glory, his essence, is defined by his character. So bring God glory. Bring God himself. Bring God his character and bring God his essence and you will bring him glory. What? How do I bring God God? Is that possible? Are you with me still? Okay, let's think about this. How do we bring God God? Well, watch the development of scripture, the prophecies and the fulfillment and see what happens. First the tabernacle, then the temple, then the prophecies, and then the incarnation. And then Jesus is described as what? The glory of God. So the movement we see then is this. What we see is we see the glory of God the Father revealed in God the Son. And in us... We who receive the Son, then the glory of the Father will be revealed in us. So thereby, by receiving the Son, we receive the Father, and therefore we have his character or his essence or his essential self shared with us, and we can thereby give it back to him. It is from the Father to the Son to us back to the Father again. It is the circle of God's glory. It is the salvific process, the process of salvation. They say, whoa, Jeremy, that's weird. Are you just making this up? No, look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And reread this now with that grid in mind. We typically hang on the first verse, verse 28, because that's the part we like about everything working out okay. And we think that refers to the bills are going to get paid and everything will you know, go my way. But that's actually talking about the grand overarching purpose, the salvific purpose of God in you, in your life. So here it goes. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, listen carefully. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That is from the very beginning, before you were born, in the womb, he chose, decided, and designed you. What? What for? To be conformed to the image of his son. Ah, that is the end goal. Confirma- or, um, conformation 
to the image of Jesus. In order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then here's the, here's the stair-step pattern. It says those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. There it is. Glorification is becoming like Jesus. Being perfectly glorified means becoming perfectly conformed to the divine image. What is God like? Jesus. A direct and perfect reflection of the Father. So in other words, saying it a different way, here's a quote. It says, To bear the likeness of Christ is to reach the zenith of human existence. In other words, glorification is when you are like Christ, when you are like Jesus. When you become like Jesus and you take on God-like qualities and thus you bring God glory. Because when you become like Jesus in character, you become God-like or, in other words, glorious in your character. Thus, you actually bring God admiration and praise when you take on the character of God, which is also his glory. So when you become like him in part two, you will accomplish part one. When you become like him in character, in essence, in his glory, you will then bring him praise and admiration or glory. Are you with me? Are you following? Thank you. Okay, so we'll take a step back. Here's the big picture, right? We're in the dodgeball game. Don't get hit by the ball. Here we go. The big picture is this. In the creation narrative, when God makes the universe, he does so for his glory. To rule over it as king. When he creates the Jewish nation, it's a theocracy. He's going to rule over it as king for his glory. When he institutes the church, it becomes his people, his kingdom that he will rule over for his glory. And when he returns to restore the planet, he will make it his kingdom and rule over it for his glory. Are you catching a theme here? All of this, the big picture, the overarching umbrella, the fully orbed Christian view of life, existence, purpose, meaning, is that it is all for God and his glory. We then are one small piece in that. And when you see that, you begin to fit in, there you find your fulfillment. So look at the picture in a different way. Here's another slide. We are made in his image. Originally, we say we were perfect. In other words, what were we? Glorious. We were like God, made in his image, sharing in his character. But then we sinned. And as a result, that image was defaced, but not destroyed. It was imperfect and shameful. The opposite of perfect and glorious. Okay, so we went, had perfect image, imperfect image, glorious, shameful. Now comes Christ, who is God's glory revealed perfectly. And what we see now is, what is God like? Oh, here he is. Perfection, character, beauty, essence. There it is in Christ. 
God's glory revealed. Thus, when we accept Christ and we are gradually conformed to his image, we were made in God's image, we are being conformed to Christ's image, and when we go through that process and eventually become perfectly conformed to the image of Christ, we are glorified. We are in the perfect state. When we become like Jesus, then we bring glory to God. So then, let me summarize. 1 Corinthians slide, please, number chapter 10, verse 31. It says this. It says, look, whether you eat or drink, summarizing the big overall stewardship theme, why are you here on this planet? Because whatever you do from one end of the spectrum to the other, day and night, night and day, eating, drinking, playing, working, having fun with your friends, whatever, do it all for the glory of God. To bring Him praise and admiration and to be conformed to His character. And as you do so, your life will come together and fit in line with the umbrella that God has designed for you. Church, Midland Free, I'm challenging you today, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Look, life may feel like dodgeball, right? We got something we think we got to do, and a lot of other stuff is flying at us all the time. Boom, 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 boom. How do I get, How do I keep up with this? What do I do? It's coming crashing down. Step back. Let the balls land where they may. And say, what is the point of it all? What is the point? I remove myself from this onslaught, and I look up. I say, God, why am I here? What is your purpose? What have you called me to do? And the answer is very clear. This is God's will for your life, that you be sanctified, that you be conformed to the image of his Son. Don't lose sight of the ball. The ball is the glory of God. His praise, his admiration, his character, and his essence. This is what we as a people, and this is what we as a church, are all about. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, for even being willing to share who you are. You didn't have to do that, but you did in your grace and in your compassion. And Lord, sometimes we get distracted and we look at other things and we think, man, that's cool or that's cool. And we forget what the greatest good and the highest treasure actually is. You yourself are our goal. Your glory, your character, your essence, your praise, your admiration, all of that is what we're all about. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us, sinful and fallen people who easily forget. Lord, keep our eyes on the target. Keep our minds fixed on the goal of Christ. And may it be all for your honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.